You're listening to the weekly podcast with Pastor Steve McCoy from 360 Church in Sarasota, Florida. We hope this message inspires you to press beyond ordinary. We begin, we we continue, I should say, in this conversation, how then should we live? For those of you that are just stepping into this conversation, let me explain to you why we're talking about this. We believe that the Bible promises us that as Christ came the first time, he's coming a second time. Now, there are many different perspectives on this as to when Christ is going to come. We're told in the scripture that only the Father knows the exact moment as Jesus was speaking from his human point of view and while he was still on earth, all fully human, fully divine. But he said, only the Father knows. We understand that there are different perspectives. Some believe that Christ will come before what's called the tribulation period, the uh, seven-year tribulation period, and will capture or extract the church from the world. Some people believe that will happen in the middle of the tribulation. Some say it will happen after the tribulation. We're not going to get caught up in those details. Some people ask what I personally see in the scripture. I believe that the church is extracted or raptured before the uh, tribulation. I could you know, put 20 verses on the table and, and uh, to support that view. Others have 20 other verses they could support their view. But we know wherever you believe that's happening, that it is an event that it is an event in history that Christ will come. There are many prophecies in the Old Testament and the New Testament that, that give us that very uh, tangible sense that this is going to, uh, to be an event. So instead of getting caught up in the details of the nitty-gritty and uh, nuts and bolts of that, I believe that those things are important, but more important, how then should we live in light of Christ coming back again. So the strangest thing happened this past week. So I, I, somebody invited me to go swimming. I'm not, I'm not much of a great swimmer, to be honest with you. I'm a one-armed swimmer. I, don't, I can't do the American crawl. So I do this thing because it seems like water gets in every opening of my head when I do it the other way. And so uh, swimming, and, I, and I, I just plunge right into the deep end of the pool. And the weirdest thing was that when I got out of the pool, I was completely dry. You don't believe me? Well, you shouldn't. I'm lying. I, of course not. Some of you are like, what, you had a wetsuit on? It's impossible to jump in a pool and not get wet, right? I know, that's profound. It is impossible to jump into the pool of our culture and not get wet by it. It is impossible to not be impacted and infected at times by everything happening. And sometimes we don't even realize that we're wet. Sometimes we're being modified and uh, we're being uh, like Plato. We're being molded by the culture around us and we're not even aware of it. I love our country. I love our culture. Yesterday, my wife and I were driving and it got just a little toasty in our car. So I turned it from 78 to 76. (laughs) And you know why? Because I could. And we began to reminisce on the places that we've been in the world that don't even know that it's hot in the car. But because of our culture, because I can turn it down, because I can go to the fridge and get a snack or the pantry and get some chips or whatever that thing is, their veggie chips, and uh, you know, whatever that is, 
And it's at our fingertips all the time. We don't even realize how much at our fingertips it is. You understand? So I do believe that it is not just an American phenomenon. It is everywhere around the world. There is a gravitational transformation that can happen from the culture to us rather than us to the culture. One of my uh, good friends, he came, uh, the connection came through, uh, many of you know Martin Newby, came through Martin Newby, a man who's in his uh, 60s and he lives in Jamaica, but in Africa for half the year. And uh, in fact, opened the door to Africa for us. And I've been to Africa with him. We've trained there together. But he is a, he's a man that has given his life to other young men, to, to young men, that, and to really get into the, to the deeper roads of their culture. He wrote me this week, and I thought it was appropriate that I share and just look to see that it's not limited to our culture, even heavier sometimes in other cultures. Courtney Richards is his name. He wrote this to me this week. Today, among other things, we looked at ancient paths, customs, traditions, cultures, etc., that have impact on disciple-making and following Jesus. Challenging. Several leaders spoke about the socio-political and socio-cultural and religious challenges they face, even death, in following Jesus and disciple-making. They spoke of the cultural backlash. The cultural backlash. Some of you will resonate with what I'm saying. There's a cultural backlash if they try to change their centuries-long customs and traditions that are antithetical to following Jesus. Serious stuff. For example, they said that a leader is not recognized as a leader unless he has multiple wives. That Christians who've given their life to Christ because of the ancient paths still pray to God through the dead. These are deep cultural inroads that are, that are in that culture. We have our own, by the way, that we all face. Why? Because we're human beings. One culture is different than the next, but we're all human beings. This has been the case throughout history, whether it's Moses or Noah or Daniel or whatnot. In fact, when you think about Daniel, watch this. This is key to our conversation that there's in every generation. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 4, the, the, the person who was appointed. So these, these uh, Hebrew men, young men, were in captivity in Babylon. Okay, So they were in foreign territory. And they were trying the best they could to live out a life that impacted culture. But look at the, the exercise of culture that was trying to impact them. This trainer was to teach Daniel and his comrades the language and the literature of the Babylonians. Watch. They were trained for three years. There was a three-year indoctrination. It was not that they had a two-hour seminar on Thursday night. This is how culture begins to modify our lives and not even know we're wet and jumping in the pool. You see? And so they were trained for, they were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter in to a different king's service other than the one they had committed to, who was God. Now, 
Let me just say, because sometimes I like to say, he put on your crash helmet because we're going to go deep, okay? We're going to get a little intense today. So if you, uh, if you want to uh, take a break and go outside for 30 minutes, I'll be done. But, uh, I, but it's, it's worthy of telling you that. As Courtney said, this is serious stuff. This is serious stuff. And I like to have conversations that are not only relevant but they, they're riveting at times because I think that's how the Bible speaks to us. And as a church, as the pastor of this church, I, I love this church family because we're willing to have these kinds of conversations. Culture takes time to modify people, but it never stops. Behind culture, this is where it's going to get heavy, all right? Behind culture, there is a force that we're not even aware is there in most cases. In other words, it's not just the culture, it's who's running the culture. You remember when Jesus was tempted by the devil and he said, if you just do this, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. You can't give anything away you don't own. So there's something that's happening. There's someone behind the scenes here that's puppeteering this. So let's just speak in adult language, it's not just what you're seeing on TV, it's what's behind it. Are you with me? I know it's tough. I know it's heavy, all right? Because you're like, oh, it's just stuff happening in culture. No, it's, it's much heavier than that. The challenge is that Jesus says, but I'm pulling you out of the pool. But I'm living in the pool, but I'm pulling you out of the pool. John chapter 15, verse 19, Jesus said, I chose you out of the world. The problem is we're living in the world. It's like, I want you to get out of the pool, but I want you to stay in the pool. Like, what do you mean by that, right? In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, we see the secret. Do not be molded, conformed to this culture like Play-Doh. It wants to shape us. And God is saying, no, you're the shaper. You're the conform. You're the one that conforms up. You're the one that influences others, not the other way around. I do believe that when you look at the Bible, there are some major themes. I love that. I love seeing, for example, when you see even in Genesis, even in Genesis, as early as Genesis chapter 3, we see the sacrifice of Christ. An animal was slayed as a substitute offering. And so you begin to, to clothe Adam and Eve and you begin to see pictures of the Lamb of God all the way through the scripture. One of the things I talk about when I'm training, you see over and over that God uses leaders like Moses, Noah, etc. Uses leaders to move predicaments into solutions. Even his own son, he used Jesus to move the predicament into a solution. Different themes like that. Here's a theme relevant to our conversation today. When you look at the patterns of history and people's relationship with God, typically it gets to a point where God has to do something. God has to issue an event from heaven. So things got so bad with the Israelites being enslaved in, in Egypt, for example, God says, I'm going to have to step in and do something. Sometimes these moments are cataclysmic. Like in the time of Noah. In other words, when we got to the place of Noah, there was so much happening. We don't even, sometimes people read the story of Noah and God flooded the earth and killed a bunch of people. Listen, it, we have no idea of at the violence, as we're going to see here in just a second, the violence that had happened in Noah's day. Most likely the disease that was going around the world. Uh, and, and I mean, it would make the, our pandemic look like, you know, play toys. And so God said, 
I'm doing this out of mercy because the whole thing is so out of control that I must step in from heaven. This will be like the coming of Jesus Christ the second time. In other words, there is, there is, it will come to the point where God says, I've got to, I've got to. And so when you look at Luke 17, Jesus speaks about this. He said, just as it was in the days of Noah. This is Jesus saying, here's what's going to happen in the future, but we're going to look in the past. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also it will be in the days of the Son of Man. And so meaning that when he's coming back. People will be eating, drinking, marrying, just living it up, in no relationship with God, being given in marriage, up to the day that Noah entered the ark, even though he kept warning them. Then the flood came, and we had to restart, destroy them all. What did that look like? Well, we're told in Genesis chapter 6. Now pay careful attention. Watch this. There's some clues. Genesis 6, 11. In Noah's day, okay? Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. Think about that. You're God. You're looking down on this whole thing. I mean, people are just going nuts. It's full of violence. Now, you notice he didn't say that there was a little violence or there was some violence. It was full of violence. Okay. Culture takes time to change. So, before this event of the flood, it was in the making, right? In other words, Wednesday, everybody didn't go to bed and say, hey, this was such a great day, and then wake up Thursday and like, wow, that's weird. The world is full of violence. No, it got a little violent. It got a little bit more violent. It got a little more and more and more violent. It got halfway violent. It were three quarters away violent, and then we're full of violence. It's full of violence. Has anybody noticed? Has anybody noticed that it's getting awful wet? The pool is getting wetter. Can that happen? (laughs) Has anybody noticed the uptick in violence, not only in our own country, but around the world? We are in the making for the next major event from heaven. It's called the second coming of Christ. Here's the reason I say it, because sometimes we think, you know, as human beings, there's a hurricane coming, let's say, and uh, then you go the day before the hurricane to Home Depot. It's packed out. All the plywood's gone. You're, everything you, you need, toilet paper, out, bread, out, all that stuff. Because as human beings, we kind of wait until, well, the second coming's over there, and I'll just, you know, I'll live it up while I'm doing here, right? Same thing with retirement. Some, you know, uh, some people say, I'm going to wait to retire. Like, and then at, you're 62, like, hey, I should probably start, you know, saving. Ah, that's a little late, right? So, in other words, we wait. But in waiting for Jesus, my point is that we have to understand that we're in the making for his arrival and the events that will catalyze that for his coming, right? Watch this. Here we go. Back in, um, in Genesis 6. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth, say it with me, had become. Progressive. So there is a cultural change is always progressive and, and always in the making. Okay? The, how corrupt the, the earth had become. For all the people on earth... Not some, 
not most, all the people on earth had corrupted their own personal ways. That took a little time. So don't be fooled like, well, it's going to get a lot worse. Yeah, but we're in the making. When I look at our culture, okay, we're going to go, here we go. We're going to keep going down deeper. I'll tell a joke here in a minute. Just let steam off. I know this is heavy, all right? <laughs> but I, when you think about what's happening, things that were impossible even 20, 30, 40 years ago are now possible. Israel has to get back in place. Check. Had that happened in the 60s. We, we need to be able to see around the world. Uh, check. Satellites. No problem. We're going to need a method, a system of currency, whether that's going to be e-commerce, Bitcoin, whatever that thing. We need to have a system of commerce that is going to the Antichrist say, you're not going to be able to exercise purchases unless you. Mm. We need to have we're going to have to be molded in the making of a mindset that you can't get this unless you have this. You see, it's happening right now on a global level. You get it? Am I trying to scare us? No, I'm just saying we're right on schedule because we're in the making. When Jesus comes back, it's not going to just happen the night before. We're in the making of it, right? All right. We're going to settle today in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Okay, 2 Timothy chapter 3. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, it's the last thing. If you, if you know a little bit about the Bible, the Apostle Paul wrote these, these parts of the Bible letters, writing a letter to Timothy. This is the last thing he wrote. So we have the last words of Paul in our possession, which is kind of amazing. And he begins to talk very real with Timothy, his protege. And in this paragraph that we're about to read, I'm going to read it straight through. He's saying, let me tell you. That when Jesus comes, here's going to be what the water is going to be like. Here's what the, here's what the culture is going to be like, okay? Now, this is going to get worse as we get closer to, to the coming of Jesus, but we're in the making. You see if you recognize anything in your own culture, okay? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. But mark this, Paul says, there will be terrible times in the last days. And then he goes over this list that's a real downer. Okay. But it's real. It's reality. People will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Boastful. Proud. Abusive. Disobedience to their parents. Disobedient to their parents. Disobedient. I had that three times in my Bible. That's weird, isn't it? <laughs> that is so weird. Sorry. I have the parents' version of the Bible. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Where was I? Oh, yeah, disobedient to the parents. There it is. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. Have a happy week. We'll see you next week. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. How did the apostle, here's one of those mysterious theological questions. How did Paul back in those days know what Facebook was going to be like? It's amazing. When you look here, 
I, look, I read this, and I'm like, man, it's like a gumbo, you know, with many layers in it. This is a cultural mix. And we begin to see elements that are in the making, don't we, in this, in this sobering list. In this list, we could truly spend, take any of these and spend, you know, a like 15 weeks on a real bummer sermon series of each of these things. However, there's something interesting that I want to pull out today. And, and Paul uses this language, and it's the only place, one other time in that letter to Timothy, but the only place in the Bible that, that this word is used in this context. So th- this, the word is strange, okay? They're peculiar. The word we're going to pull out today is lover. This one gets really good. Just kidding. Some of you are like, that's really weird. So... When you read the word lover in the Bible, it's what you think it is. It's found in places like the Song of Solomon, you know, the hubba hubba book of the Bible, right? I mean, it's about romance. And so when you look at this, this scripture, we're going to look at it again, and I've highlighted four lovers in this, because I do believe that we can reverse the, the power of culture by being opposite of some of these things. Watch this. Let's read it again. D- different version. Different angle. Mark this, Paul says. I'm just going to highlight some of these things. The terrible times in the last days, people will be, number one, lovers of themselves. Number two, lovers of money. I'm going to skip over all these other Characteristics, number four, not lovers of the good. And number uh, three, sorry, and number four, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Okay. So when I look at that, instead of saying the world is falling apart, and in some regards it is, and getting angry about it and vehemently posting something on social media, I say it's a news flash. I'm not saying you don't post and all that and everything. I'm just going to propose this to you. That the world around you, not the White House, which you're, never, you're not going to visit the Oval Office anytime soon, not the school system, which you're not on the superintendent board or on school board and all that, but I'm talking about your world, your world in your neighborhood, your world in your workplace, your world in your family, your world where you go to the gym or play, your world wherever you are, I propose to you that you will make far more change by reversing this rather than posting something really angry about the current administration on Facebook. Now, am I saying don't do that? That's your choice. I'm just saying that what we want to be, are you ready, is antidotes to the poison in our culture. An antidote is the opposite. In other words, if people are lovers of this, then let's be lovers of that. In other words, we want to surprise people with the Christ in us rather than our own human flesh telling other people how wrong it is all the time. Does that make sense? 
And so when you look, for example, at the word antidote, I looked it up and said, hey, what's the definition? I'm like, wow, there it is. Watch this. The definition of antidote, antidotes, agents that negate the effect of a poison or toxin. See, Jesus said, you're in the world. Don't be of the world, but be an antidote, be an opposite, be an agent for great change by being the opposite. So we're going to take these four things and just one of them. I'm challenging you, just one of them. Walk out the door and say, you know what? I'm going to do that one. That's going to, I'm going to give you four pills to take. You just take one of them, okay? A prescription of sorts. And I have to say before we start, all of these four were super unsettling to me personally. And uh, I'll be confessing sins at three in the afternoon here if you want to uh, come back and be just uh, exhilarating. Here's the first thing. So the first one in this passage was lovers of themselves. What if we, instead of being lovers of ourselves, that we're lovers of others? Think about that. Here's what I mean by that. Our, we, at our, at our, in our church family, we highlight three words. Seen, heard, and known. As human beings, we give significance to other human beings, say, hey, good to see you. To remember your name. To remember someone that you say, Michael, I wrote your name down. It's a couple weeks ago, right? Good to see you. Now, does that make you feel important? What if instead of being lovers of yourself, you take time to love someone else unexpectedly? Okay, first confession of the day. I'm very goal-oriented. Anyone ever notice? <laughs> I go to the grocery. I'm like, oh, she's standing in front of the celery. I can't believe it. I was being honest with you. I do. I'm like, she's, I, I got to go. I came in to get kale, of course, and she's standing in front of it. How long is she going to, how many pieces of celery is she going to examine? Come on. I just want to get on with it. It's unsettling because what God is speaking to me through this is why don't you just chill out, dude, and tell her, hey, I like your haircut. Now, she might hit me with a piece of celery, but, <laughs> but you know what I mean. God is currently teaching me, no joke, God is currently teaching me to slow down, to hear someone else, to see somebody else. That may not be your deal, but as a goal-oriented person, that's my deal right now. Why don't I love other people as Jesus would love them and more myself? I just want to remind you in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit or high petro goal setting, but in humility consider others better. Dang it. Why did I have to say that? Than yourself. Each of you should not look, and I love this, should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And we're going to take care of ourselves. It's not saying instead of others, but also you got to comb your hair and you got to, you know, brush your teeth and all that. And you got to, you know, take care of yourself, but also others. Jack Heil said it this way If I live for self, I can only live for one. That's me. If I live for others, I can live for three billion. So I wonder today, maybe this is your reversal, your antidote. You'll surprise the socks off of people. When they cut you off, 
Blow them a kiss. <laughs> That's true. They may not take it away. That's a good point. Do something. Do something nice. When someone is in line before you, when someone blah, 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 when the guy at work or the gal at work is just like, oh, one more time they did that, just say, you know what? You look really great today. And I, is there anything I can pray for you today? Won't you shock them? This is how we're going to change culture. Not by venting, but by loving. Lovers of others. Here's the second thing. Lovers of money. That's what Paul lists. Why don't we reverse that and have lovers of generosity? Lovers of generosity. Now this one hits home because... We do live in a culture that is more wealthy than we think. I was just driving in my neighborhood, middle-class house, 1,800 square feet. And just yesterday, I was driving in my neighborhood. And I could say, well, I just live in a normal house. been living there nearly 20 years. Lots breaking down. Front door, got to twist the key in a certain way. Hold your mouth before the thing comes out and all that. I mean, I, you know, go on and on and on and on. But yesterday, I was driving in my neighborhood with all this in my mind. I thought, you know what? I've been to a lot of places in the world. I've never seen a neighborhood as nice as this. It's all relative. Sometimes we can give in a way that seems generous, but Jesus said, told us this. Um, in Luke chapter 21, verse 1, as he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. He said, I tell you the truth, guys. This poor widow has put in more than all the others. Out of all these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, she put in all she had to live on. Here's my personal confession, sin number two. <laughs> I'm finding myself asking this question. Am I giving to the kingdom out of comfort? Even though if you saw my check, you're like, wow, you give that much, blah, blah, blah. But when is it? So here's my Steve's convicting question. You take the pill if you want to take the pill. When is the last time I gave to the kingdom and said, I'm going to do that and I'm not going to purchase that? I really want that. I really actually need that. But instead, I'm going to give. That's when you start feeling generosity. There's... um. A Charlie Brown episode. I feel like you guys need a laugh right about now. Uh, and he came to his, you know, friend and arch enemy, uh, Lucy. Remember Lucy? Cynical, harsh. He said, uh, I'm going to, Charlie Brown said, I'm going to buy Christmas gifts for everybody. And uh, she goes, oh, really? How much you got? He's got $9.11. And she goes, I'm not going to buy anybody Christmas gifts with $9.11. He goes, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to buy, I'm going to buy uh, every, all my friends. And then she goes, well, they're all going to be cheap gifts. You know, really encourage her. And he said these words, well, nothing is cheap if it costs all you have. That's generosity. Lovers of money. Maybe you just surprised God. 
surprise the socks off of God if he is wearing socks. <laughs> Say, God, I'm just, I know you know I want this thing, but instead I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. Here's the third thing. Uh, not lovers of good. Why don't we change that around and say, let's be lovers of good, okay? Put on your crash helmet. If you thought we're heavy so far, here, here we go, all right? There was, uh, you guys probably uh, recognize the name David Attenborough. He's the narrator of Planet Earth, Blue Planet, and whatnot. Someone posted on Facebook this past week a, a, a quote from him, a passage from him. And, the, and the, the, the posts on Facebook had this picture of red army ants and black army ants. And so these red and black army ants, if we could pull the picture up, that'd be great. Um, they were fighting with one another. And Attenborough pointed out that if you put a hundred black army ants and a hundred red army ants in a jar with the lid on, ventilation, of course, put the lid on, and you left them alone, then they're fine. They're just kind of crawling all over each other. But if you come along and someone shakes the jar, they start killing one another. They start eating one another. He points out that it's not the ant's fault that they're eating one another and killing one another. It's the person who shook the jar. Okay, may I go a little heavy with you? When you look at our culture now, somebody's shaking the jar. Somebody's shaking the jar. What do I mean by that? Vaccine or no vaccine? <clears throat> mask, no mask. Left, right, liberal, conservative. Black, white, black, Asian, gender, all these things and systems are shaking the jar and they're causing us to hate one another. Now, this is heavy, but it's real, right? I look at the news. I like to watch the news, but, you know, all these news commentary shows, you got a guy on the, this side and a guy on that side, a gal on this side, a gal on that side, and it's just seven and a half minutes of eating each other, right? Just, just shaking it up, shaking it up, shaking it up, because if they didn't shake it up, the show would be boring, and we get sucked into it. And I think that I'm going to say something. Here we go. I'm going to edge out on a limb here. <laughs> I'm not saying... That this is what it is, but it is a mindset that is leading us to the end. We are already a mindset in the making. For example, when you look at Marxism, Marxism operates and feeds off creating havoc between peoples and they shake the jar and you think, oh, Marxism is bad. No, it's the operating system behind a system like that. It's the supernatural forces behind the shaker. In other words, the earth was full of violence at Noah's day. And we're told that as in the days of Noah will be when the son of God comes. I promise you, somebody's shaking the jar. My, my message to you, don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. What do I mean by that? Get angry about it? No. Why don't we be the antidote to that? 
as a leader, my view, my chair, as time has progressed, has increased on the criticism that I get as a leader. Now, that may be true for you wherever you work. If you're in charge of something, you're in your neighborhood. In other words, we are more apt to be critical in our day and really strongly critical. You know, here's a list of things that are not going right. I'm like, I already know those. Surprise me with something else. (laughs) So I'm reminded that the antidote, and I love this passage of Scripture. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, Paul says, From a prison, unfairly imprisoned by the Roman regime, who could be super cynical, he says, Finally, brothers... Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. And I love this. If anything, if there's just a half an ounce that is excellent and praiseworthy, fill your mind with this. Don't fill your mind with how wrong this current administration is. It'll drive you nuts and it will form your spirit. It will form your attitude. It will form your mindset. Do I agree with this current administration? I don't with a lot of things. But I'm not going to let it consume me to the point that I hate the president of the United States. Rather, I'm going to be the antidote and I'm going to surprise people and say, I'm praying for him. I'm praying for his wife. I'm praying for his son, which is, you know, just going to be a, you know, I'm praying for the Congress. I'm praying for our governor. I'm praying for the governor, uh, the, the mayor of Chicago. I'm praying because I want to be an antidote, not just a fueler of wrong things. You'll shock the pants off of people when you say, you know what? I'm going to go down to that cubicle, to that guy that just gets under my skin and say, Ralph, your teeth look really great. Because <laughs> that may be the only thing. If every, anything is excellent. I love your excellent tooth, Ralph. Have a great day. Walk away. <laughs> you know what Ralph's going to think? I must have something in them. He's, he doesn't like me. I know it, right? <laughs> Come on. We're agents of love. It's easy to criticize people. I can find something wrong with anything. Pastor Eric, we work, work together. He, he, he says, my personality type is the improver, right? Like here's 10 things wrong. Well, we can change that a little bit. We can improve that just a little bit. Okay. I have to watch myself that I, when I'm going to improve something, are there 10 other things? Maybe this one's your pill today. I tend to be critical. I tend to be an analyzer. Just take one step and say, what is good? Final thing, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers. How about we be lovers of kingdom? You know, lovers, when you say lovers, there's a romance involved. You can say, I, 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 like, I love coffee. But if I'm a lover of coffee, it's kind of weird. It's a little bit different, right? There's a kind of a, you know, like I said, a hubba hubba thing going on there. A little romance thing. Especially in our culture, what would we give up for the sake of advancing the kingdom? Colossians 3, 1, we end with this. Since you have been raised with Christ, 
Set your romance on things above. Set your romance. Heavenly hubba hubba. How about that? I'm in love with the things of God. Where Christ is seated at the right hand, set your minds. You know when you're in love with somebody, especially when you're at that, man, we're, we're at that stage, man, things are starting to cook up. You can't get her off your mind. And if you're in love with the kingdom, you'll always be thinking of that. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Thank you for joining us. And special thanks for those of you who give generously to make this ministry possible. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can also subscribe or share it with your friends. For more information about 360 Church, visit us at the360church.com.